All right, so we're going to dismiss. Oh, the kids already went. I was going to say we dismissed the kids. They didn't want to hear my message today. Well, we're going to dismiss our youth right now. We have youth ministry today. But the older youth just stay put. You know, when you start thinking, you know, kids were in kindergarten 19 years ago, I think, man, Michelle's old. <laughs> I had somebody when they asked me, how old are you? I said, well, guess, 38. Oh, I love you. That's what you think. I love you. Well, if you would um, open your Bibles with me to Isaiah 53. We're going to actually do communion in just a few minutes here. The part of what I was going to share last week. In fact, last week was awesome to have Michelle share about um, the Congo. And just the other night, she got an email from the pastor there of giving more and more testimonies. And it sounds like more will come as people are coming back to church and reporting what happened. And I think he ended with, right, he knows this is the first of many uh, conferences that they want. So such an impact. Uh, so um, anyways, exciting to hear what God is doing. He's doing in our lives and he's doing in somebody else's life all the way around the world. You know, if you woke up today, which I usually don't hit the news cycle, and I, I woke up today and saw that last night uh, in the wee hours of the morning, there was another shooting. We had one yesterday that was in El Paso and Walmart. Last week, there was one in Gilroy, uh, which my youth pastor growing up, uh, pastors there, was able to connect with him. But I, I wanted to start with, you know, Isaiah 6, Isaiah gets the picture when King Uzziah dies. And everything was so evil, God wanted to shift his focus that he remembered that God was on the throne. That there was a picture of God. Because I think these things are happening in, I think people get dull. Or people really question. My prayer is always that in the environment that whatever churches or parachurch ministries or ministries, first responders, people that are reaching out right away but that we're seeing evil become more evil, become more evil. And like Jesus said, we're to lift up our eyes and look to him. That the world, when we read our Bibles, doesn't get any better. But I'm not to look at the world to get my life better. I'm to look at the word of God to get my life better and to get the picture of what he sees. So Lord, as we come today, we think of all of these families in the last just couple of weeks that have been impacted, the lost, the broken, the discouraged, community shattered. But Father, we pray and we believe your word that you are at work, that you are on the throne, that your angels are dispatched, that there's people that you have specifically put in that city to be hope that your Holy Spirit begins to move. And Father, that you can take whatever brokenness and make it whole, because as we see today, you sent your son to be broken for us. Everybody has hope. Father, we pray in our nation, Lord, that evil would be thwarted in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Father, for every first responder, for what they had to witness and the bravery, Lord, I pray today that the Holy Spirit comforts them. 
and continues to do so all across this land. We know that time is short and Satan knows that too, but we say that God is on the move and we trust that. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen, amen. So if you turn to Isaiah 53, I just want to mention really quick. Remember, Isaiah is one of the prophets that we looked at a couple weeks ago. So he's going to see things from the Lord, but then he's going to write down, or as we get to read them today, the things that God instructed, the things that he saw that God wanted prophesied. And so one of the verses I just want to put up real quick that we remember Isaiah 7, 14, because usually we only read this verse around December, but Isaiah saw this and prophesied this verse. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So he sees over 700 years into the future, and he's prophesying this. Let me tell you, I've, I've heard some, maybe some crazy prophecies over the year. I've never heard anybody prophesy about a virgin that would conceive and the child's going to be called Emmanuel because it means God with us. So he says those things. That's exactly what happens 700 years into the future. And there's still people that of that day didn't believe it. Well, we go on in uh, chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. And he says this, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform it. Man, that's a, you know, I, I've seen some long names of people before, but this name that Jesus is given, the names that he has, that he embodies. Isaiah sees it, prophesies it. But I want to look today, before we do go into a time of communion in Isaiah 53, that what Isaiah saw in Isaiah, uh, that he writes down for us in Isaiah 53, it wasn't the birth only of Jesus, it wasn't the names of Jesus, it was the suffering that Jesus would go through. So I want to read these 12 verses though it's probably very familiar to most of us. Isaiah 53, and it says this, Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as the root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs 
and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. In fact, I want to read those couple verses again. And let me read you one of the translations of them. In verse 4 it says, He carried our sorrows and we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Which one of the other ones was pierced through. That Jesus' body was pierced through. He was wounded for our transgressions. One of the translations is he was crushed for our iniquities. He was crushed for my sin. The chastisement uh, for our peace was upon him and by his stripes or by the blows that cut in, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Here's Jesus' response that we read when we see him before Herod and we see him before Pilate. He was oppressed he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was smitten. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. Because he has done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Now listen to verse 10. This is what I'll come back to in just a minute. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Did I read that right? It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief when you make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many. For he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion to the great. He shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Boy, when you read that, you have to go, wow. So I want to look at verse 10 for just a minute. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. I'm reading that right, am I? It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He, just talking about the Lord, has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, 
He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. You know, Revelation 13, 8 says that the Lamb of God, talking about Jesus, he was already slain before the foundation of the world. Even though sin entered the garden in Genesis chapter 3, the Lamb of God, Jesus, was already slain before the foundation of the world. In order to buy us back, it took a blood sacrifice, not of a lamb or a goat. It took the very Son of God. That was the plan, but it pleased the Lord to bruise him. You know, have any of you gone through anything with your kids where they've had physical injuries? And maybe you've said, if I could just take that from them. I'm going to throw a couple pictures up here. I believe the first one is uh, Madison tore her ACL her sophomore year in high school. I remember going to the doctor's appointment with her a day or two after we knew there was a knee injury. And I remember the doctor putting this device on that looked like it had come out of the 1920s. He had these weird dials and straps. And instantly, he said, she tore her ACL. We need to schedule her for an MRI and then surgery. She was crying. I was crying. Surgery. Was she 15? 15 years old. In fact, the picture, go back one. The picture was going into surgery where the doctor put his initials on the you know, correct leg. You know, that's what I was checking too. And then when you see your daughter being wheeled off into surgery, you know what I would have done? I would have done anything I could. Take my ACL. Take them both. Is there any way that we could swap? I'll take the bad knee, right? Give it to me and I'll, I'll figure out. I don't want my child to have to go through that. In fact, the next picture was her coming out of, of recovery. I never, nor we never said, oh, you know what? It was your fault. You should have known how to jump. You know, we, in fact, we were trying to get this correct the other day. It took her nine months going three times a week to sports therapy to get back to 100%. How I would have traded everything so that she didn't have to go through that. My son, two years ago, I did not go to his uh, one football game. He was the quarterback then. And I get this phone call. And I thought it was a little bit odd that I got the phone call in the middle of his game, and it was Michelle saying, you need to meet us at the hospital. We think Maverick got a concussion. And so by the time I met them, the game was in Paris, California, but by the time we met in Anaheim at Kaiser, this was the next picture that I saw of my son at the time. He was probably 15. He's going in the CAT scan. Let me tell you, as a dad, I lost it. I would have traded anything for him not to have to go through that. Four weeks of headaches. In fact, I remember when the doctor said to him, okay, here's what you need to do. You have him lay in bed. He needs to lay in bed for two to three days, not watch any TV, not play any video games. In fact, it's better if you can block his eyes and just have him lay there. I was thinking, you're going to have to sedate him. <laughs> There's no way. Like, that's just not going to happen. The next picture is the kid that hit him. Now, I think he played for the NFL. <laughs> now, that's not the hit on Maverick. It was some other kid. Well, I remember I saw that. I'm like, all right, come on, right? The guy probably drove to the game. 
But I read this verse in verse 10. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. But if Jesus had not willingly endured unjust suffering, we would have remained lost and dead in our sins. Instead, Jesus carried our sins to the cross. He actually died in order to take the penalty of our sin. He took my stripes. He took my blows, my grief, my sorrows. He took it upon himself. We were the ones that deserved the judgment. But God saw it as allowing Jesus to take my judgment upon his body. Jesus would be judged for my sin. Jesus would be judged for my sickness, my diseases, all upon him. He was blameless. And he endured the suffering so that I could live and that I could also now die to sin. You know, I thought about, in fact, Michelle, let me use your little notebook here. In Revelation chapter 21, it says uh, on the judgment throne, the books were open. There's the book of the, the book of the Lamb, the Lamb's book of life, which when you become a believer, your name is written out. And then it says the book of works. So there's a list of everything I did in life. Whew. Started probably on my when I was born. I would imagine, I wonder how many pages are in that book. I wonder if it needs to be a little thicker than this. But here's what's interesting. Because of the blood of Jesus and him forgiving my sin, before I could even confess it, he took my book. I don't have a book. I should have a book. I deserve to have the book. But he took it upon himself and endured everything that I would do. In fact, he took everybody's book, past, present, and future at the cross, dying one time for all of us. And here's what we know when we read, and it pleased the Lord to do so. It pleased him to do so because Jesus understood and the father understood that the risk was worth it all to purchase your life back so that you could stand and confess your sin, confess your salvation, confess your healing. In fact, you know, it's interesting when we read this, we forget, we look at the forgiveness of sin only. We forget all of the physical things Jesus endured for our healing. You know, we go on. In fact, there's a few other verses, but, but for, let me read one more here. Matthew chapter 8, verse 16 and 17. Remember, Jesus would always fulfill these prophecies. That's what he came to do, fulfill it. Let me read this verse to you. When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. He cast out spirits with a word. He healed all who were sick, that it might be what? Fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet saying, he himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. 
We believe that he paid for our sin. We believe that we have eternal life. We need to also believe that he died so that we could receive our healing as well. Jesus knew his mission on earth was to also fulfill Isaiah 53. And that's what that verse says. That he said he himself took our infirmities so that it might be fulfilled. You know, uh, one of the theologians, Charles Spurgeon, said this. Isn't it interesting how precious a life is that both God and Satan are always actively after every soul? Our lives are so precious to God that he's always after us. One of my Bible college professors called him the hound of heaven. He's the hound of heaven, always on people. But on the other side, Satan's doing the exact same thing. He's after that life. We won't look at, Matthew saw that. Let me read one more. Peter sees this in 1 Peter 2.24. It says, Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sin, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. God said, or God, God says through Isaiah, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Bow your heads if you would with me today. Our worship team's gonna slip up and we're gonna pre prepare for a time of communion. In Luke 24, when Jesus is walking on the road to Emmaus, and he comes across the two men that are talking about the events of the day, the crucifixion, the resurrection, and, and the talk in town. He expounds everything about himself and the prophets to these men, but it was in the breaking of bread their eyes were opened. In the breaking of bread their eyes were opened. In Acts chapter 8, we read about Philip, and Philip has a chariot go by, and the Bible says there's a, a man there, and he's reading, and so Philip runs, he jumps on the chariot, and he says, what are you reading? Well, the guy's reading Isaiah 53, but he doesn't understand it. So Philip preaches Jesus to him out of Isaiah 53, and then the guy asks about baptism, and he gets baptized in some little puddle. All throughout God's word is a story that we come to even tonight or today in our time of communion. That Jesus was to be broken, bruised, died, and resurrected for our salvation, for our forgiveness of sin, and for our healing. So, Father, as we come today, we remember Jesus, what he physically went through so that we could die to sin and say yes to life. We bless you this day. So our ushers come forward and pass out the communion elements. If you would hold on to